What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. We've got Joe Healy here, and we are less than two weeks until opening day, Joe. Yeah, believe it or not, um, you know, it's kind of the strange thing where when the weather gets really cold is when I start to think like, oh, college baseball is almost here. Because, you know, we're talking January, and, um, you know, especially when I lived in the Midwest, you know, it's the January is the bleakest month and cold weather and gray skies. And in some strange, twisted way, most people, I think, think of like the weather warming up <laughs> and associate baseball with that. For me, it was like when it's really cold outside, that must mean college baseball is almost here. So it's kind of that weird, just a weird mental thing. But that's that's life when your season starts in mid-February. Well, that uh, reminds me of something that reminds me of our guest, who will be Ohio State coach Greg Beals, who previously was at Ball State while I was at Ball State. Uh, and I remember going to first day of practice to write a story for the, the the paper and it was like an absolute snowstorm outside they're like playing in the field house and it's just one of those things where like yeah it it starts in the middle of winter like it's it's the spring game but you know we 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 do choose to to start our season in college baseball in the middle of winter. So that that is what it is. Now, it seems like this winter has been fairly mild around the country. So always interesting when we get one of those winters uh, to see how that transforms the game because it is significant for teams to be able to play outside that maybe aren't always used to playing outside or practicing outside uh, in, in January and February. Yeah, I think that's not just a perception thing. I think that's, that's like a, um, at the very least, a truism. That um, you know, I've heard coaches tell me that, that you know the years when the, the the midwestern and northern schools do well are those years when we have milder winters where we've been able to get outside in January and in February and, and practice outdoors. And so um, you know, certainly the, I, I guess it would be possible to research that, but that sounds pretty exhaustive. Um, <laughs> so you know, we'll just have to kind of take them at their word. But it, but it seems true enough, and so it will be interesting to see if that ends up playing out this year as well. 
Yeah, and obviously it also depends on what we see over the next two weeks still because sure. this is the, the time when it really counts. You know, it's nice if you could be outside during individuals or, you know, it was nice if there was nice weather in December, but that doesn't really do a whole lot for people. It's really these next two weeks, uh, how much scrimmage time can you get in? And, and so that is, that is something to watch uh, as we approach opening day. Today on the podcast, I mentioned that Ohio State coach Greg Beals is going to be our guest. Uh, we are going to, to break down the number 24 Buckeyes with him, talk about some Big Ten happenings, uh, re really just kind of get into everything Ohio State with, with him. Uh, we also want to talk about uh, some of the teams that are in our top 25 that maybe are bucking external or other expectations, um, you know, be it from fans or, or whoever else that we're maybe a little higher on uh, than, than other people are that you might be a little surprised to see in a top 25. Uh, I think Ohio State fits into that. Uh, there are other polls. Uh, I'll acknowledge that there are other college what? baseball polls. <laughs> Ohio State, I don't think, appears in any of them. So we are, we are the high ones on the Buckeyes. Uh, Dallas Baptist we have ranked right ahead of Ohio State at number 23, I believe, again that other polls do not have them. Arizona is in the mix in the 20s as well for us. And again, that, that's a team that missed regionals last year. At least Ohio State and Dallas Baptist were in regionals. Arizona's missed for the last couple of years. They're ranked for us. And Wake Forest kind of fits into this as well a little bit. Uh, casual college baseball fan. Um, you know, might have kind of forgotten about Wake Forest after a, a very mediocre last season that led to them being bubble out of the NCAA tournament, and we have them, uh, you know, run up into the, the top 25 pretty good there. So we're going to get into that a little bit. Uh, I also want to encourage everyone to check out BaseballAmerica.com. There's a lot of preview content there. We're, we're into conference previews now, deep, in the, deep into conference previews. They will continue rolling out over the course of this week. So if you haven't seen your conference yet, uh, fear not, they will, they will be up by the end of this week over at BaseballAmerica.com. And while you're at it, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, I would encourage you to do so uh, on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, we're there and you can subscribe and then get the latest episode sent directly to your phone. And while you're there, if you can, rate us, review us if, if the app allows uh, we greatly appreciate that, and, and it does help other people to uh, to find the podcast. I know sometimes we don't do a great job of this, so I'm going to be a little more a little more blunt about it too. This is the time if you've kind of been on the fence about a baseball America America subscription. I think this is maybe the time to jump in. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased with the college season starting up, but even if you're really just kind of more into the draft or you're more into the prospect rankings, this might be the time to do so because you know signing up now, you're going to be signed up in time to get all of our college content. The draft stuff is gonna start heating up. High schools start pretty soon. JUCOs, I think in some cases have already begun. Um, so there's already stuff happening. Uh, so if you're into the draft or if you're into prospects, you know, it's not just college happening right now. There's a lot going on around baseball. And so now I think would be the time to, to jump into that. If you've been on the fence about getting a Baseball America subscription, I don't, I don't know if there's really a better time to do that than right now. Also, if you're into fantasy baseball, um, especially dynasty fantasy baseball, we just launched a new uh, feature, I guess. Uh, they're calling it the Dynasty Hot 100, and it is, uh, and it's, something, it's a tool meant to help you prepare for first-year player drafts and 
I guess, uh, strategy throughout the, the spring. I'm not really into the dynasty, so I can only kind of speculate how, uh, how difficult that is, but I imagine that a tool such as the Dynasty Hot 100, which uh, Matt Eddy formed with the help of Carlos Colazzo, our draft writer, and Ben Badler, our international expert, uh, how useful that would be as you try and collect names uh, to, to throw into to your pot, your, your draft pool, um, you know, for, for the 2020 season and, and beyond. And that, and that was not a, a project that was kind of just done because like, oh, people might like, like Matt Eddy, who, who kind of spearheaded this, like loves Dynasty Leagues. Like he, it is a passion project for him. So the information you're getting there, we did not just regurgitate. Now I've not seen the list, but <laughs> we did, I, I'm assuming we, you know, with the work they it put into it. It is different, yes. It did not just regurgitate existing lists. This is not just done to, to put a separate list up there and, and attract some clicks. I mean, this really is a passion project for Matt and the, and the team that put it together. So um, if you are into that kind of thing, I think it's gonna be a good resource. So with that, let's, uh, let's get right to Ohio State coach Greg Beals. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we are thrilled to be joined by Ohio State coach Greg Beals. Coach, uh, it's great to have you here. It's, it's January. Uh, we're, we're getting close to the season. Just how, how, are you, uh, how excited are you that opening day is, is approaching so quickly? Well, first of all, today, thanks for having me on, and uh, well, we're very excited uh, to get the season started. There's a there's a lot of things to be excited about here at the you know Ohio State baseball. Um, we got to get the season rolling and get out and start proving those things that we're excited about. Well, before we really get into this about the number twenty four Ohio State Buckeyes, I feel like we need to acknowledge how far you and I have come. Uh, for listeners that don't yeah. know, I went to Ball State. Uh, Bealsy was coach at Ball State at the time and for uh, like eight years I should know how long that was <laughs> correct but you've uh, so you've been dealing with me since the fall of 2008 when I was a freshman uh, so I, I just want to acknowledge that we have a, a very long longer than any other coach in, in the game I I've been dealing with with you <laughs> you you say it like I'm dealing you're dealing like we're just dealing with each other and it, it, it's it's been better than that, in my opinion, anyway, Teddy. I remember those days sitting in the dugout underneath the, the heated lamp there at Ball State and having post-game uh, uh, interviews and uh, just talking about our, our program there. And I, I appreciate it. I recognize that um, I wasn't sure how good and how far you were going to go, but I knew you certainly had a passion for it um, all the way back then. So we really buried the lead here. I did not know you guys. I, I guess I knew that you guys had overlapped there. But uh, so I, I can't let us continue going here without asking you, Coach, for do you remember Teddy as a freshman? Like, what do you remember about Teddy? Journalist, freshman journalist, Teddy Cahill. Uh, what stands out to you about him at that? I'm not asking necessarily for an embarrassing story or, you know, anything like that. But I'm just curious what you what you remember about him way back when. There, there really weren't. Uh, there's no embarrassing stories or anything like that. I just, um, I do just remember the the guy was there all the time, and like I had had, you know, student reporters before, and it was like they kind of took care of baseball, kind of did some stories about baseball, and then Teddy came around, and um, boy, he was locked in on us and was there regularly, if not all the time, uh, and was very interested and and asked great questions and for a guy who you know when you're at that mid-major program if anybody's taking interest in writing in your program 
man, you got, you got some passion for that person. So uh, I, I, I developed that with Teddy. I'm well, sure the check is in the mail. It's fun to think back <laughs> on those days. And, um, you know, it, it really is amazing just to, to think about the progression of things over the last decade plus. And obviously one of those progressions is, is that you're now at Ohio State where you've been since 2011. And, you know, you have the the Buckeyes in the tournament in back-to-back years now, won the the Big Ten tournament a year ago, and now you return a lot of that team. And, I mean, there are clearly expectations. We ranked you 24th. Um, I know that the Big Ten coaches poll hasn't come out yet, uh, but I, I assume that they'll have you listed reasonably highly as well. And I, what, what now do you – where, where do you see the program now that you've been there um, eight or nine years and, and are moving in, moving forward here, uh, trying to make the tournament for a third straight year? Yeah, well, that's certainly what we want to do is get in the tournament. We want to take the next step uh, and, and get in the Super Regional, get in that best of three series, see who goes to Omaha, and, and, and keep you know keep progression here. And um, you mentioned the word expectation. Uh, you know, when you sign up to play at Ohio State or to coach at Ohio State. The, the expectation is there from the get-go. Doesn't matter what year, doesn't matter what you got coming back. Um, there's a very high level of expectation here. Um, that's always been the case. It's certainly the case again this year. The thing that I'm excited about, though, guys, is being in the tournament three of the last four years, the last two years, winning a conference tournament um, last year. Our guys have a much greater sense of, of what that reality is, what it looks like um to accomplish that so this expectation level it's always been there i think we got a much greater understanding of what that is now uh i'm curious what you think getting into a regional last year and 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 maybe having to do it the way you did it where you you know you needed to win the big 10 tournament to get in I'm, i'm curious what you think that does for the 2020 team in terms of you know a little bit of momentum a little more belief um, you know, being able to lead into a 2020 season where you do have those kind of expectations. Well, I think it talks to the growth of, of, of a team and the growth of, you know, some of the players that were on that team. I, I thought we were going to be good last year. I knew we were young and inexperienced, so I didn't know when it was going to play out. Fortunately, it did play out. You know, it took us down to the stretch for it to really show up about the last two or three weeks of regular season, we were pretty good. And in the tournament, we were, we were good as well. Um, but what I think happened there is the guys have, have seen struggles and they've seen success. Guys grew up, you know, we had freshmen on the left side of the infield, first year starters at second base and Dingler really coming into his own behind the plate. Um, a, you know, a, a starting rotation that had two freshmen and a sophomore in it. Uh, so there were some growing pains, um, and those guys learned had those growing pains on the fly in in Big Ten competition. So uh, while it was tough for a little bit, and there were some wounds, um, we've we've certainly grown from those, and, and and that's and that's what I'm excited. A lot of the same guys, like you know the, the pitching staff's back for the most part. We lose Magno, who was so good down the stretch last year uh, as far as closing games. But other than that, the the rest of the pitching staff's intact. I mean, you mentioned that, and that's a big piece that that returns, especially in the rotation where you you have Lonsway and and Griffin and and um, you know 
it's a really strong group that, that now has a full season under its belt. What, what do you see that makes that group so good for you? Well, now they've, you know, they had success last year. They saw how to do it. They got that experience. So um, that's obviously important. Um, there's been significant development this year. And, you know, Coach DeLucia taking over the pitching staff there. Um, we have um, implemented uh, a lot more technology into our, into our player development, especially with our pitching staff. Uh, our guys have learned that. They're, they're, they're shaping their pitches better. Their repertoire is cleaner. They're tunneling, you know, all, the, all these fun um, words that are out there now relative to uh, you know, how the technology and the data is, is, is affecting the pitching stuff. We're doing that. And uh, both Burhan and Lonsway have made adjustments and high-quality adjustments to their stuff. So that's exciting because they were good last year, and I think they're going to be better. I'm curious your thoughts on I think a little bit of a hot topic in coaching now. You talk about the technology and pitching, and I think one of the hot topics around the industry now is is how do you ma- how do you marry you know the the technology with kind of the the soft skills of coaching and and you know the on field stuff. And so I, I'm curious what strides you you guys have taken in the program to to marry those two things to kind of give your pitchers or you know the team as a whole kind of that full 360 degree experience as opposed to you know more heavily one or the other. Yeah, well, it takes an old man on the staff like me, I guess, to help do that. And um, you know, I don't, I don't think of myself as an old man, but this is year 27, so uh, way before technology was part of the game, uh, I was coaching. But you know, I think anybody, it's wise for all of us that to we got to be willing to accept change and accept technology because it's coming, you know. And those two things, I think that's just personal skills you need to be there. So I've done that. Um, and I've really done it through my personnel, you know, that the, 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 the personnel and my, and my coaching staff, Coach DeLucia and Coach Angle, and then our volunteer, Kirby Pellant, our director of ops, Blair Everhart, and then our pitching development, Brad Goldberg's new this year. And uh, he's very much into the data analytics and, and that stuff. So um, my staff is really uh, taking a part of that. And it's my job, really, to make sure I blend those things and, and still keep some feel. Uh, feel for pitching, feel for player development, feel for personalities, and feel for the game. And uh, uh, so I'm making sure I keep nudging that stuff all along while these guys are throwing a bunch of numbers around. Dylan Dingler is a big part of where this team is is going to go as well. Obviously, he's he's getting some draft interest as a junior, some pretty significant draft interest as a junior. What what have you seen from him in terms of development since he got to Columbus? Well, he's become a baseball player. You know, Dylan is a great athlete. The first thing I would say about Dylan is athlete, competitor, dude. Like, just has real – he's a guy's guy, locker room guy, voted captain as a sophomore. That doesn't happen very often. Um, that tells you that he's got that respect of his players. But, you know, when I say athlete, because he was a football, basketball, baseball guy in high school, played all three um, – and he's really just evolved as a baseball player. His the the fine skills of his game, his receiving's gotten better. His game calling is very good. And you know we've let him call games. You know from about the middle of last season on, uh, he was calling his own games behind the plate. So trust him with that. Uh, that's a that's a high level of trust when you let a guy manage the game from behind the plate like that. 
Um, I'm excited to see where the bat grows. You know, last year his development um, as a sophomore offensively was stunned by the broken hamate bone. Uh, he was showing serious progress there after the freshman year that he got his feet wet, showed some power, showed some ability to play. Um, now this year, I, I, I'm seeing it in the cages. I'm seeing it in his work. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens at game time. One other guy I'm curious about is, is Noah West and, and getting him back in the lineup uh, should be a big boon for you guys. Uh, tell us a little bit about him and, and what you think he's going to be able to bring in 2020 to help you guys. Yeah, well, thanks for bringing up Noah West. He's not the the, the guy that gets questioned about a whole lot. You got the Lonsways and the Burrins, that rotation, and your Dingler uh, in there. So those guys usually get uh, get the love, but uh, Noah West can flat out defend. Um, and you know he's going to go back into that shortstop position this year. It's going to allow us to move Dezenzo, who played shortstop after West got hurt last year, move Dezenzo back to third base. Uh, I think the infield defense. Um, is going to be a very strong point uh, of, of our ball club. And Noah West is right in the middle of that, can flat out pick it and throw it. The Big Ten as a whole looks pretty competitive this year. Uh, obviously, everyone's chasing Michigan after what happened last year and, and everything they have coming back. You've been there uh, since 2011. A lot's happened in terms of Big Ten development. What what do you think has been the biggest key to the conference uh, growing the way it has and, and getting to a point where you have a team competing for a national championship? It's a regular thing that three, four, five teams a year make regionals. Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, I from day one, our conference has been like what I consider just black and blue. Man, we beat each other up. The, the parity in our conference is pretty is pretty good, and, and I think it continues to get better. Um, what has happened is that there's just been an investment. There's been an investment in people. There's been an investment in facilities. Indiana, Purdue, uh, Northwestern, Minnesota have all done things. You know, we're always doing things at, at our facility, and uh, so we're getting some uh, we're getting some investment from from administration from a facility standpoint. Uh, personnel-wise, um, which is a league with some very good coaches and some guys that uh, know how to prepare uh, teams and players and know how to know how to manage baseball games. And uh, you know, Dan Hartlip is is at the top of that list for me. It's just a rock-solid baseball coach. Obviously, Eric's doing a great job up at, at Michigan. I don't. I, I mean, I probably shouldn't even be mentioning names because I don't, I don't know where you stop. And the dean of our conference, John Anderson, just keeps keeps uh producing and uh you know so there's really good coaches uh in, in our conference and obviously the big 10 power five the, the great academics of our conference we're recruiting uh at a high level as well so i, I guess I, well, i'll ask you now kind of in a, a question that's maybe a little bit impossible to answer but uh th- those are the fun ones right um <laughs> what do you perceive as kind of being next for the league? If, if whatever that next step is, and I, I'm not asking you to define that necessarily, but I'm just curious what you see as those necessary next steps for the league to take to get to whatever that next level is. Well, I, exactly. I think the next level is that we're, you know, we're doing what Michigan did last year. We're doing it uh, more than just every now and then, you know, um, you know, Indiana, you know, was, probably about eight years ago, we, they got to Omaha and, you know, so we're doing it like every five to 
eight years or something like that. And we need to be doing it at a higher clip. You know, fortunately we've had a couple super regionals that, that our conference has hosted. I think really that's the next step is, is being able to host and, and driving our RPI in the positions where we can host things because uh, it's tough winning on the road at, at any level, especially in college baseball. You, you mentioned the way that the teams in the Big Ten have invested, and Ohio State definitely has done that. You guys are able to travel south uh, during the preseason sometimes. Just what does that do for the club, and um, you know, how, what, what do those trips entail? Well, it's important for for development of our team is to be able to get get and uh, get outside and, and, and play and um you know for, you know fortunately we have the ability unfortunately we need to chase down weather early in the year i think a prime example we saw it at the national level last year michigan played texas tech early in the year and it didn't go very well michigan later in the year against texas tech went real you know obviously was in the big 10 favor there and i think that's Really, there's a big picture in there uh, that uh, our teams in, in the Big Ten are way better in May than we are in February. Um, so we need as a program, and this is what I'm trying to do, is do whatever we can to speed that process up, get us closer to the May ball club uh, and get that into April or you know, as soon as possible um, where that development of the team shows up. Well, Coach, we're going to get you out of here on this one. Um, you've been at Ohio State now for eight, nine years. Just what, what's been your favorite part of being able to be the Ohio State coach uh, over that time period? Oh, oh man, that's, that's a great question, Teddy. And, you know, Ohio's home for me. I grew up just an hour um, west of Columbus, and my mother and my brother are still there in, in Springfield, Ohio. My high school baseball coach, who's a dear, dear friend of mine, is there so just an hour away. Um, the sense of pride, the sense of, uh, being part of something bigger than yourself and, um, is, is what's really cool here at, at Ohio State as well. And probably the punchline for it all is, man, we believe in people at, at Ohio State and the motto in the athletic department is the people, the tradition, the excellence. And I mean, we believe it wholeheartedly. There's great people in our athletic director, Gene Smith is all about student athletes. If there's something I can do to help our student athletes, he's going to help me do it. Um, so that's the thing is to, is being in, a, in an athletic department that has impact and is willing to do every little thing they can to make the impact greater. That is absolutely what this is all about. I guess, you know, is finding ways to help kids and, and that's, uh, that's college athletics in a nutshell. Well, that's right. I mean, it, 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 when you get down to it, it's, it's scholastic sport. <laughs> and yeah, man, I want to win a bunch of baseball games and guys get drafted and do all of those baseball things. Uh, but the odds are at the end of the day, the majority of these guys are going to go out and get their own jobs and start losing their own families. And it's important that we're putting them in a position to be successful at that. Well, coach, it's uh, always great catching up with you something we've been doing now for more than a decade. So I really want to thank you uh, for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast today. All right. It's been a pleasure, man. Thanks, Teddy. Thank you again to Ohio State coach Greg Beals. Like I said, always a fun time to catch up with him. I have been doing that uh, for a long time now, as, as we said, and it, it's always, always a pleasure. 
I might have said dealing a couple times, but no, it's a, it's a, it's a great time to, to be talking Ohio State baseball uh, with Coach Beals. And it's an exciting time for Ohio State baseball. Like he said, three out of four years, they've been in regionals now. Uh, they're trying to make a, a third straight trip to regionals, which is incredibly rare in Ohio State program history. You know, even as good as they've been, that's a, that's a program with national championships. That's a program that Bob Todd really had running pretty hot in the 90s and, and 2000s. But to make three straight trips hasn't been done uh, since 2001 to 2003. And, you know, so it, obviously things have changed in the Big Ten to make this more competitive, to make it harder than it was back then. Uh, but it, it, if Ohio State can pull that off this year, that would be uh, a big for them. And like Beal said, the, there are bigger um, aims for this year's team. This is a team that has a chance to be a super regional team, which Ohio State, again, has not done since 2003. And, you know, frankly, I'm not going to throw this on them, but, you know, if they were in Omaha, I wouldn't be surprised. And I don't mean Omaha for the Big Ten tournament. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I mean in if Omaha. If they weren't there, that would be a surprise. <laughs> that would be a surprise. <laughs> if they can't be in the top eight in the Big Ten, we got problems. Um, but th it's, a, it's a team with that rotation, with Dylan Dingler, with Noah West, with all of these pieces returning that has pretty significant upside. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned 2003 um, because I, I think it's kind of forgotten as maybe a strong word, but I think people who have been following the Big Ten for a while or at least have read up on the history might know a little bit about uh, you know, those Michigan teams and whatever it was, 06, 07, 08. I mean, there was the year they upset Vanderbilt, uh, the David Price Vanderbilt team. Um, and kind of think of that as a, as, a, as a little bit of a pop-up moment in the Big Ten before Indiana came along with Tracy Smith. But really, you know, I even catch myself kind of forgetting that you're right. I mean, Bob Todd really did have Ohio State running hot there from about, what is, 99 to 03 or so. Um, and actually, it's funny that you mentioned 03. This is what I'm building to here. Because 03 was really um, a season for me where I was paying a little more attention to college baseball. And I remember one of the first super regionals I ever saw on TV, and super regionals being on, on TV, it was a select number of them at the time, and then being on TV was kind of a new thing. And uh, one of the first ones I saw uh, on TV was that 03 super regional between Ohio State and then what was known as Southwest Missouri State, which is now known as Missouri State. Missouri State went on to uh, Omaha that year. Um, and I, I just kind of, at the time, it's funny, you just assume that like, yeah, okay, Ohio State must be, you know, really good at baseball. The Big Ten is a power conference. And then, you know, you read a little more and you're like, oh, actually, that was a little bit of an outlier. So um, it's just funny how that perception changes when you, you know, the first thing I saw was that. And so I just kind of made an assumption about, about that. But, but then, in, like I said, in hindsight, that, that program was running really good at that point. Um, and maybe that kind of gets a little bit lost. This team certainly capable of, of living up to that being the type of team that does get you heard and mentioned it a few times like the next step is you know breaking through and getting into super regionals and this team has that and, and you know we talked about the rotation and I think that's the biggest reason for optimism that if they get to that stage um, it's a team that can make an Omaha run because when you're talking best two out of three uh, you know that rotation is going to be hard to beat and I don't just mean in the realm of you know, teams in the Big Ten or teams kind of at the back of the rankings. Like, that's a rotation that, you know, certainly there are SEC rotations that would lap it, but they wouldn't be out of place there for sure. No, if Lonsway is running hot at the front end and, and that's a lefty with premium stuff, um, that he, he's, he can be right there with the best in the country. And Garrett Burhan, uh, who you heard Beal say, has, has taken a step. Uh, he was 
very good as a freshman last year. So if he can keep that up as a sophomore and take that step, uh, that's really encouraging. So I, the, the rotation is, is really premium. You have a star behind the plate in Dylan Dingler. Um, if he can tap into some power, he has a chance to be really, really special, uh, not only for Ohio State, but also in terms of draft. And honestly, if he doesn't tap into power, maybe that's just not who Dylan Dingler is right now. He's still a really good all-around player. He's a really good defender. He's way more athletic than your average catcher. Uh, he ran around center field in, as a freshman because Ohio State had uh, a, a good piece behind the plate already. and uh, So he can do a lot of things. They should be pretty solid defensively, maybe even better than pretty solid. I really like the left side of their infield. I really like Dingler behind the plate. There are holes to, to replace from last year's team. Andrew Magno was an All-American in the bullpen. A bullpen ace more than a closer, just somebody that could really come in and and shut it down for a couple of innings, and that's gonna be hard to replace. But the thing is, at this time a year ago, nobody was talking about Andrew Magno as a potential All-American or- Brady um, Cherry as someone who hit 16 home runs. I mean, that was- Yeah, and, and you know, Cherry's gotta be replaced, and, and they have some pieces to replace. Dominic Canzone has to be replaced. But I think the overall talent is there for Ohio State, and they have these, they have players who can step up to be that. You know, like Cherry, like Magno, they weren't that. Dominic Canzone, this time a year ago, people did realize was a big-time player. But I don't know that anybody expected Magno and Cherry to have that kind of year. No, that, yeah, that's, that's a great point. Just because, I, 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 you know, sometimes there is a, um, a, an inclination to kind of assume that it, things can never be, you know, the guys that are leaving, we can never, you know, could, they could never match that again. And that's just, you know, not true. And it, with, you know, the way Ohio State... Um, you know, has built the last few years. I think we have to have some level of uh, faith that, that they are going to kind of pull it along. And there are pieces. You know, you you, you heard him mention Zach Desenzo and a guy. That's guy who hit ten home runs last year. I mean, there's some there's some as a freshman playing shortstop out of position. Yeah, I mean, so that's the type of bat that you know has maybe some kind of some pop in it. I mean, Connor Pohl is back. He's a guy that's shown a little bit of pop here and there. I'm not saying those guys are going to be Dominic Canzone and Brady Cherry in terms of. Uh, in terms of production, but then again, with the pitching they have, they don't really need them to be. So um, I think there's kind of a middle ground where it's like, uh, maybe those guys don't get replaced, but that might be okay. And the offense might just be pretty good and, and maybe not great. And being pretty good should be good enough for this team to live up to the expectations we have for them. Yeah, and it is interesting that if you've been listening to the podcast all off season, there, there was a podcast and uh, I guess that was early November, late October with, with Eric Bakich uh, when we talked a lot of Big Ten and I said that I thought that the team that was Michigan's closest challenger was Minnesota and Joe said Ohio State and I have since come full circle on or, or 180 on that anyway uh, and, and I, I now believe Ohio State to be the second best team in the Big Ten. Still really like Minnesota. Um, the Big Ten preview is is going up in, in the next couple days, and you'll see that we're picking them to finish third in the Big Ten. Uh, but you know what Ohio State can do on the mound, what Dylan Dingler can be behind the plate, um, I, I, I really like what the Buckeyes have to offer. And you know Michigan remains the team to beat in the conference, but this is this is an Ohio State team that that is going to be a team. Uh, that, that is going to be a force to be reckoned with in the Big Ten and that I think outside of the Big Ten can really open some eyes as well. Yeah, and you mentioned Minnesota, and I think 
you know, we can draw a comparison to where Minnesota was last year in Ohio State this year where Minnesota was ranked coming into the season and, um, you know, just really got behind the eight ball early in the season. And this, I don't think this Ohio State team is going to be in that same position. A lot of it is due to the fact that, I mean, Minnesota's schedule last year, I mean, that would have been tough to navigate even if we were confident they were a top 10 team um, because the schedule just was really difficult. And they, they were away from home for a long time, obviously. Now, Ohio State will be away from home for a long time, too. But, you know, outside of the, they've got a road series against Georgia Tech the second weekend, which should be a lot of fun. But outside of that, their schedule, while being road heavy, is, um, you know, a little bit softer. So, you know, they, they will get a good test there with Georgia Tech, but they should be able to, you know, get a little bit of confidence. They should be able to pile up some wins and be in a good position uh, once they do return back home and then start to get ready for conference. And the thing about Minnesota's schedule a year ago is that it wasn't intended to all be a road schedule, that they, uh, they opened at Oregon State's tournament in Surprise, which is tricky. Then they went to Dallas Baptist, and then they went to North Carolina State, and you know, they stayed out on the road for another couple weeks, and that wasn't supposed to be the way it was. DBU was supposed to go to Minnesota, and then the Final Four decided that they needed to take U.S. Bank Stadium away from the Gophers for like a month in advance of the Final Four to get it ready for reasons. They're putting the floor in one piece of yeah, the Yeah, like still, to this day, do not understand the NCAA needing the Final Four venue for that long in advance. But whatever, it happened. And Minnesota, instead of getting out of contracts or something, just said, well, can we just come play at your place? And that made it very, very challenging. So what Ohio State has this year, I think, is an appropriate schedule. Um, you know, they, they open with a, you know, interesting but very manageable opening weekend in Port Charlotte with St. Joe's, Pitt, and Indiana State. And then they go to Georgia Tech and they go to Lipscomb. And so the, these are all things that they should be all okay uh, with in, in terms of, of picking up wins and some of this is really going to help their RPI, just playing this many road games, obviously. And, um, you know, they get Liberty at home, which is, should be solid for them as well. So I, I think that the, this is a, a schedule that should give Ohio State some early tests, but also should allow them to build some early confidence going into Big Ten play. Yeah, and then Big Ten play will be, you know, obviously with the Big Ten, you just kind of never know what you're going to get scheduling-wise. And Ohio State got a little bit of a tough one. You know, they've got an early road series with within – well. I mean, first off, they start off with Rutgers, which, you know, should be a series they'll be expected to handle, but Rutgers can pitch. So, like, that's not necessarily going to be any sort of walkover like you might have assumed Rutgers would be. But they've got a road series with Indiana early on, a road series with Michigan a couple weekends after that. You know, they've got Illinois on here, Nebraska, Maryland, that's a really talented team. Um, so in the scale of Big Ten schedules, theirs is certainly on the more difficult side. Yeah, so, I mean, they're, they're going to be a team that I'm very interested to watch. Obviously, I think that they have this significant ceiling, but you know, when we did release our top 25, uh, I think that Ohio State being ranked 24th was met with the most skepticism of any team in the top 25. That's part of why we wanted to address Ohio State today. Uh, some other teams, like I mentioned, that we wanted to talk about a little bit today, we, we spent a lot of time on the top 25 podcast talking about teams at the top, not a whole lot talking about teams at the bottom and so when we look at like DBU and Ohio State and Arizona teams that we're clearly higher on than than some other people are um, you know I, I think that that's interesting to to examine why that is and you know I think certainly in Ohio State's case it's belief in the pitching it's a belief in the, the fact that 
last year's experience matters this year and that they'll be able to replace the couple bats that they need to replace. When we look at DBU, I mean, that's a very consistent regional team. I don't think you can ever go wrong ranking that team uh, in the 20s in the preseason, that they'll be there at some point. Uh, you know, they do nothing but go to regionals. And this year, if Burl Caraway and Jimmy Glowinky, um, two of their stars, if, if those are really good building blocks for them and they're able to find some pieces to, to put around that, that's a team that could be in a super regional. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, um, you mentioned the consistency there, and it's not just getting two regionals. It's, I think I looked it up one and I, the stat escapes me exactly, but, you know, not only do they go to regionals, they go to regional finals. Um, I think all but once in the last, I don't know, seven, eight trips, whatever it has been, they've gone to a regional final. Um, and that's really impressive because that means you're, and they're going on the road. They've only hosted one regional in this time. Uh, so, I mean, they're going on the road and winning at least two games, oftentimes in places like Lubbock that are notoriously difficult to play in. So um, they're really knocking on the door. And, you know, we talk about Ohio State having some faith that they're going to replace some pieces. And uh, few teams do that as well as, as Dallas Baptist. And I'm, I'm, you know, working on the Missouri Valley preview and, you know, writing up some of these guys that are that are missing. So on offense, you're talking about Luke Bandy and, and Bryce Ball and then Herbert Iser behind the plate and Augie Isaacson, who's a plus runner. And you start to think like, oh my goodness, what are they ever going to do? But this is not new for Dallas Baptist. They put a, they've been putting guys into pro ball for a long time now and developing guys into really productive seniors for a long time now. And I think there's just kind of, there needs to be a blind assumption that like, no, 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 they'll, they'll be fine. Like, because they always are. They just truly always are. And uh, this team obviously is headlined by Burl Caraway and Jimmy Glowinky. Glowinky's a little bit limited defensively. He's just going to hit, at least initially this year. But Dallas Baptist is in a good position where they're able to slide over Blaine Jones, who's a, a plus defender at that position. He's been playing second base only because Glowinky is there. Um, so they've got him moved over to shortstop. I also like you know Jackson Glenn back in the lineup, was really productive last year. Um, they've got a first baseman named Dan Pruitt, who looks like a Bryce Ball clone, frankly. Um, right down to the fact that they're like the exact same height and weight and came from the JUCO ranks. And, you know, I asked Dan Hefner about that, and he was like, well, that's the idea. <laughs> we're, we're kind of hoping he's that same kind of guy. So They definitely have a type. It's not just Bryce Ball. You know, it goes back before yeah, that. Yeah, Derek Hall, I guess, was, was one of the more notorious ones, too. Yeah, so, uh, you know, pitching-wise, you know, they're, they're going to be leaning on uh, some new faces around Burl Caraway, and you know, I, I ask about maybe Burl Caraway starting, and it looks like they're just more comfortable with him being in a stopper role in the bullpen, and and why the heck not? I mean, he's one of the best relievers in the country, full stop. So um, you know, they're going to be looking at a guy like Ray Gaither, who was really good for them two years ago or three years ago now, uh, but hasn't played much the last two years. So definitely some question marks, but the talent is there, and I guarantee you, we're going to look up in June and be like, oh yep, the Patriots are good again, and here they are going into a regional and you know, with a chance to advance beyond that. Yeah, we've talked about this before, that it's just the Missouri Valley doesn't look like it's going to be as tough this year. Uh, last year was a banner year for the conference, and so it's going to just not quite be that, we, we assume, and, and that will also help DBU pile up wins. I, it won't help it if the Valley takes a big step back. They were the number five RPI conference a year ago, uh, so obviously that helped everyone's RPI, but... Uh, I, I don't think they're going to take such a step back that, that it's going to dane uh, DBU's RPI to an extent that it's really going to hurt it. Um, so I, I, I really like the Patriots this year. That, that's not a surprise to 
anyone that's listening to the podcast uh, during the offseason, I, I feel like I've mentioned that a couple times. Arizona is interesting. Arizona's a team, back-to-back years, bubble out. Last year had a very strong case to be in. Um, ultimately just did not have the top top tier wins, really. That was, that was the problem. They had everything else that they needed, just they, they didn't beat good teams ultimately. They beat all the bad teams on their schedule, but it wasn't quite enough. This year, uh, they now have to replace Nick Quintana and, and Cameron Cannon, two big pieces of, of what was one of the nation's best offenses. But Joe, you're pretty high on the Wildcats. Yeah, I, I mean, they're going to mash. I mean, that's a good good enough reason. Um, you know, Cameron Cannon gone and Nick Quintana gone, but, you know, Matthew Dyer hit almost 400 last year. <laughs> you know, Austin Wells is, um, you know, was a freshman All-American. Which and, he did not get enough play for, by the way. Matt Dyer hit 396 last year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just incredible. Um, Austin Wells is, is kind of a guy, a guy with some draft helium. He's a draft-eligible sophomore, kind of an athletic catcher that we're kind of figuring out whether or not he's, you know, going to truly be a catcher the next level, but... You know, Dayton Dooney is back, is back, is back, is back, so, back. So I think they're really going to hit. I think that's a fun watch for that reason. Um, the pitching is the question. Um, you know, it's, it's really kind of a rebuilt pitching staff. I know you talked to Jay Johnson about that, but uh, they do have Nate Yeski in the fold now. Uh, you know, former Oregon State pitching coach is widely considered one of the best pitching minds in college baseball. He's had opportunities to do other things. You know, um, and, you know, he's still in college baseball and still in a pitching role, so I guess college baseball lucky to have him. But, um, I, you know, I have some faith that I don't know that Arizona is going to become one of the top four or five pitching staffs in the Pac-12 next year necessarily. But, again, much like Ohio State, it's the inverse. The pitching staff is not necessarily going to go out and have to have a, you know, a 350 team ERA uh, to win a lot of games. Yeah, Arizona – returns on its pitching staff basically two guys that had good years last year, um, which could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, it means, though, that they're going to have to rely on their newcomers, and their newcomers have a chance to be pretty solid. Um, they, they hit the junior college ranks, they hit the high school ranks, they hit everywhere to find pitching. And so I think that they're, they hit grad transfers. I should, should not leave out that option as well because they did it. Um, they're, it's going to be a new look. Uh, it was going to be a new look anyway with, uh, with Yeski coming in. It's really going to be a new look given all the new faces they have. I think that they have the pieces to be an okay pitching staff. I don't think that this year's team is going to pitch at a particularly high level yet. I could be wrong. Maybe they get a lot better real fast. But I, I just think that right now... They're hoping to be a more serviceable pitching staff and then let the offense take care of the rest. And the other thing that I think is really going to help the pitching staff beyond the new pitchers, beyond Nate Yeski, is that this defense should be better. They feel like they upgraded at shortstop, and by upgrading at shortstop, they can redistribute other players around the infield a little bit better. They also uh, should just be healthier this year. Uh, that, that was a problem last year. Part of their problem at shortstop last year was just that they, they played like three or four guys there more. Like, I think they each got like 10 games. And you know, Dane Dooney was in there for a while, and um, you know, that was probably plan C coming into the year, that they, they thought that that was not going to be a situation that, that, that they would have to explore. But they did, and 
you know, obviously infield defense is, is critical to, to a pitching staff. So if they could have improved that, I, I think that that would really go a long way to, to helping them. Honestly, when I look at their offense, like it's good. Um, it's really good. And there are too many players there. I don't know how they're going to figure it all out. Putting together a best nine for Arizona right now is, is tricky, especially if you want to emphasize defense a little bit. Like I can jam nine bats on the field. But to, if, you, if you say that, well, we also want to have a really good defensive team, which fully understandable, and, and I, I, would, I would want to do that myself, you know, it becomes a little trickier to see how they're going to manage it. So I'm very interested to see how Jay goes about putting that lineup together on a daily basis. But he's interesting in lineup construction on a daily basis anyway. Week to week, things change at Arizona, they, or at least they have her last couple of years. So... I'm going to be interested to see how that all works this year, especially on the pitching side. Is that going to continue, or does do they want to have more defined roles this year? Where does that go? But overall, the collection of talent in Tucson is pretty impressive. It's a manageable schedule, too. I mean, they, they've got a good balance of, you know, they go play in the Tony Gwynn tournament, which gives them some solid competition. Um, it gets them away from home a little bit. I mean, sometimes the RPI hit, teams like this take is you know just that that number of home games really ends up hurting you but kind of like Dallas Baptist when we talked about um, when we talked about the Valley maybe being a step behind and that would allow them to maybe pile up some wins Pac-12 kind of in a similar place where we still you know like a lot of teams at the top of the Pac-12 but maybe doesn't have as many elite teams this year Um, maybe an opportunity for Arizona to pick up more wins against that caliber of team versus last year to your point they really struggled against the, the teams that were clear regional teams. They just kept getting swept and, in those. And and yeah, and and they they did great against the teams that weren't in the discussion. <laughs> they swept most so, of those. Like, <laughs> that's how you get to be fifteen and fourteen. And so you know, this year maybe there's just like more of a middle class in the Pac-12, which allows them to compete a little better with teams that are of like talent levels. So we'll see. But it strikes me as a, they've got some good non-conference stuff too. They Houston comes to Tucson, so that'll help. We we think Houston's going to be pretty good this year. So manageable schedule I think an opportunity for Arizona to kind of to break and obviously we with them ranked we believe in that I mean really I just think that they need to find a way to win three or four more Pac-12 games and this ranking will be what they are basically that if they win 18 19 Pac-12 games they're going to be in the mix in the Pac-12 race at the end they probably won't win it at that mark UCLA and Arizona State who we have ranked ahead of them are probably going to win 20 plus in the Pac. Um, but if you're winning 19, um, you should be in the mix going into the final weekend. And that very much is a regional team. That's like a back-end top 25 team. That's a, you know, maybe if you edge it a little higher in other parts of your schedule, you're in the hosting mix. And uh, all of that would be uh, a nice step for the Wildcats. And I think it's one they can make. It does come with the caveat, though, that, uh, the pitching is a large unknown, and until we see exactly what that looks like, it's going to be tough to to truly evaluate uh, where the Wildcats are in relation to to the other contenders in, in the conference. The last team we wanted to touch on was Wake Forest. The Deeks are number 20. Uh, and, Joe, I feel like it went a little under the radar. This was a team that struggled out of the gate last year, and I think a lot of people wrote them off, probably myself included. Probably did it here on the podcast. Uh, but then, at the end of the season, they got back on the bubble. 
Yeah, you, you may have in betting terms heard of a backdoor cover. This was almost a backdoor regional team. <laughs> um, some of that is, has to do with, I, I assume I'm not looking at their 2019 schedule right here, but I assume some of that was their schedule was a little bit front-loaded, and they were able to kind of sneak in, almost sneak in the back door by, you know, getting back closer to a 500 mark in ACC play against the softer part of the league. I don't, that would be my hypothesis. I don't know that, but... But yeah, and we we know what we know about Wake Forest. They're going to hit. Now you have to put that through the filter of Wake Forest playing in an extremely offensive environment. They always hit. Um, but I think the the talent is good on offense. It's not just ballpark factors. There's all, and even if it's not necessarily, you know, um, super elite draft prospect type talent. It's a lot of really good college hitters here. And that's not to slight guys like Bobby Seymour and. Um, you know, Chris Lanzilli, those guys are going to have a shot to play pro. Those guys are going to play pro baseball. That's not, I'm not saying they're just, you know, four-year players who are going to wash out of the program. But, um, but so they're going to hit, and the talent on the mound is, is very real. Um, you know, they're all, all three members of their projected starting rotation pitched on the Cape this past summer. So that's Jared Schuster, that's Ryan Cusick, that's Antonio Menendez, who's coming from the bullpen to the rotation. All three pitched on the Cape, all three did you know uh, some some variety of good on the cape you know i think schuster stood out most but all three had solid cape seasons um so if you believe in the talent on the wake forest pitching staff and we do then this is certainly a regional team and and the other thing about wake forest is i think you know they, they had a down year um and so we we maybe get a little down on it, it was not that long ago this team was pretty doggone close to getting to omaha two years ago they took florida to three games. Three Indeed. years ago, they took Florida th to three games. And maybe it's just because we're not inclined to think of Wake Forest as kind of a team traditionally in that mix. Maybe we're, we're a lot quicker to think like, okay, here comes their down cycle. This is just the way it is now. Uh, maybe that's just it. But but it is, <laughs> I find myself kind of forgetting that, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Wake Forest was in a position to, to be in Omaha, which of course would have been incredible for the program. But uh, certainly a chance to get there again this year. I'm very interested, that's a word I keep using here today, very interested to see how the pitching develops there because you're right there is definitely talent uh, Jared Schuster was really good on the Cape Wake Forest is a really hard place to pitch all like frankly that that's that's just part of what it is there um, so they're not going to ever much like Arizona I, we didn't get into this with Arizona Arizona is statistically never going to be in the top of the pack in pitching their ballpark is an offensive ballpark in a league of pitchers parks to get Arizona to the level that a UW or an Oregon State or an Oregon or Stanford or Cal playing in those bigger parks, get them to where those are, like that's really hard. Um, Wake is, you know, the ACC might not be quite as pitching heavy, but they play in one of the more offensive parks in the league. So they're never going to rank at the top of the ACC in pitching, regardless of you know, how good the staff is. And I think this staff has some pretty significant talent. Now, last year, they had a new pitching coach because Matt Hobbs left for Arkansas at the end of fall ball when Wes Johnson went to go be the Twins pitching coach. So Wake brings in John Hendricks. John Hendricks didn't have a fall to work with them. They didn't have a fall to work with him. It was, you know, a bit more rushed than you see typical coaching changes. So... What does having a, him having a full year there do for these pitchers? Um, just to, to get everyone used to everyone else. And another year of development for these guys. That, that's an, a, a significant piece of this as well. So I think they can make strides. 
they have to make strides, but they don't have to make immense strides because, to your point, the, the offense brings back two significant pieces in Bobby Seymour and Chris Lanzilli. Bobby Seymour, the ACC Player of the Year last year, led the nation with 92 RBIs. Uh, Lanzilli had a really strong year himself. And no, they aren't premium pro prospects. I know that's a big surprise to a lot of people. I, I see you on Twitter. I, I, I don't know what to tell you guys. <laughs> um, but they, they are really good college players, and they're going to be difficult for ACC pitchers to deal with all year long. Yeah, we ultimately might not know a ton about Wake Forest until they get into ACC play. The, the non-conference schedule probably isn't going to, going to push them. I mean, they go on the road to, to Long Beach State, but that's very much a rebuilding Long Beach State program. Um, but their first conference series is at home against Louisville, and uh, that's uh, going to throw you right into the fire there. So we will learn quite a bit, and really their first few weeks. I mean, Clemson and NC State, North Carolina right behind it, and the ACC is really deep this year. You're not going to get a ton of breathing room, uh, but certainly those first four weeks, especially week one of ACC play against Louisville, is, is not necessarily um, a way to kind of ease into things in conference play. I will also say that everything that you would say traditionally in the ACC, like, oh, well, there's your, there's your breathing weekend, like it's all on the road for Wake. Uh, and I'm not saying these teams are bad this year because I don't think they are bad teams in the ACC, with the exception of maybe one or two teams. Uh, but, like, they're at Virginia Tech. They're at Notre Dame. They're at BC. These, these just having those on the road just raises the, the level of difficulty there. Um, Maybe it's good, though. Maybe, maybe it's better that, that you get the really good teams at home and have to travel to face these teams that we do think will be at the, the bottom end of the conference, even if we think they're all going to be improved this year. Uh, you know, so that, that's Wake. That's, that's going to be a team that, you know, a lot. It, I mean, I've mentioned where teams are in relation to where they are in other polls. Wake is a team that you see very consistently about where we have them, around 20, um, pretty much no matter what you're going to look at right now. So clearly we all have come to this similar conclusion about Wake Forest. I just, we're all making the same leap here, and I'll be interested to see what exactly comes of this pitching step because that's going to determine it. it they, if they just have the same team as last year, and frankly they could, if the pitching staff doesn't take a step forward, this could be a very similar team. It's still a bubble team, and maybe they're bubble in. Maybe, because maybe they win just a couple more ACC games, and instead of being 14 and 16, they're 16 and 14, and that gets you in. But if they take a bigger step and they win, you know, they, the, even if the record is still only 17 or 18 ACC wins, if the pitching actually is significantly better, this is a team with the upside to do what Wake Forest has done under Tom Walter at it, in its best years. Yeah, hosting is certainly not out of the question. Um, I, we have them ranked where they do. I mean, that, that in, um, connotes that we think that they are a team that could be in, in that mix. Um, but it's going to be an interesting year in the ACC from the standpoint of there is that kind of depth to where, um, you know, I think it's going to allow teams to hang around the bubble. I mean, last year we saw, you know, kind of uh, teams kind of backdoor their way, like Wake Forest, backdoor their way into kind of being on the bubble at the end of the year. Um, I think this is another year where that kind of thing can happen because there, there just aren't going to be a lot of ACC games that are going to be RPI anchors. Uh, there really won't be, and I don't see any, on, frankly, on Wake Forest's schedule. I mean, we really like the talent, at least at Boston College, and Virginia Tech was better. Virginia Tech was kind of a team that hung around the bubble last year, as a matter of fact. So um, those teams aren't going to hurt from an RPI standpoint. So I think 
you know, as long as you're winning a good number in the ACC, and I don't just mean this in terms of Wake Forest, I mean it in general, if you're just hanging around in the ACC, you're probably at least on the bubble. And, and to your point, I mean, you're talking one or two games could make a big difference. And the other thing about that is, too, is that you're not going to have to really necessarily um, really rack up the wins necessarily to be in contention to host. Um, it could be at the type of year where the hosting bubble is a lot of teams in the SEC and ACC that have, you know, 18 conference wins and you're really kind of splitting hairs on, you know, which of those, which of these two teams that win 18 and 12 in conference play and maybe, you It's know, not going to be 18, it's going to be 15 and 16. Well, yes, you're right. 18 is, 18 is, is certainly, you're right. If you, yeah. if you win 18 in the SEC or ACC this year, you're hosting. I'll say that right now. You, you mark that down, send that to old takes. They won't care, but. <laughs> They're going to be like, what is hosting? <laughs> Um, yeah, so it, that is going to be, it will be, could be one of those years like Florida State a couple of years ago that went from, goodness gracious, like they're going to have to win some games to get into the field to hosting a regional after the ACC tournament. The ACC and SEC are going to be such that I think that type of thing could very much happen this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, th- those two conferences look incredibly deep and they're going to suck up a lot of hosting spots and a lot of at-large spots. Uh, th- those are two things that I am absolutely certain of as, as we go into the 2020 season. You can send that one to old takes exposed too. Got, I got some takes today, I guess. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I really don't think they're that hot though. Teddy's mic just caught fire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before I run my mouth more on, on whatever hot takes I have, college baseball related, uh, I think we're, think we're going to get out of here. Uh, we really appreciate... Uh, you all for listening. Really want to thank uh, Greg Beals for joining the show. And remember, there is plenty of content over at baseballamerica.com, both college and otherwise. As Joe noted, great time to uh, to subscribe if you've uh, been on the fence. And so check out all those conference previews. Check out uh, all of the college preview content, top 25 preseason All Americans. If you miss those uh, over the last couple weeks, there, there's a lot to dig through there. So really, uh, you really spend. Uh, Spend the next couple weeks doing that before opening day and, and then go into the season ready to go. That's, uh, I guess that's the point of the college preview. And also the issue, uh, again, I, you can order that online. You can, uh, if you're not a subscriber, I love the way it all came together. It looks really cool. The cover looks great with Austin Martin and Kumar Rocker on it. So if you prefer your stuff in a print product, we've got you covered there as well here at Baseball America. So. Check that all out over at BaseballAmerica.com. Joe and I will be back here with another edition of the Baseball America College Podcast next week. And uh, like we said, we are closing in on opening day. It's, it's just a couple of weeks away. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Just uh, do everything you can to get ready for the season. That'll, that'll help it get here faster, right, Joe? That's right. That's exactly how that works. I, I believe that science has proven that. Uh-huh. Yep. All right, so... Thank you to Greg Beals. Thank you, Joe. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.